Turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. There is a handout for fill in the blanks and all the references that I use. Mr. Bogner has a pile of them, so if you need one, slip your hand up quick. And there is only a $1 convenience fee for late delivery. All right, so if you need one of those handouts, uh, they, they help you by helping you follow along with the blanks, but also all the references are in there that I will use today to keep you from having to remember exactly what reference I just said. So if anybody else needs one while he's still standing, once he sits down, the offer is expired, okay? Acts chapter 2. Just to remind you of where we are in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The disciples, all of them, not just the 12 apostles, all 120 disciples, men and women alike, received the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, just as Jesus had promised that they would. And the power of the Spirit on the church was immediately evident. We find the disciples miraculously spoke in other human languages called tongues in your English Bible. And they even spoke in particular dialects of those languages. These were not their native languages. These were languages that they had not previously spoken before. And even the particular dialects with the different idioms and all of that, they spoke them perfectly. And it was amazing to the crowd that was there. They declared the greatness of God. And it caused a stir there uh, in Jerusalem. And so here in Acts chapter 2, we discover the very first sermon preached in the church by none other than the formerly foul-mouthed fisherman, Peter. So if you look at Acts chapter 2 with me, we'll read verses 14 through verse 24 this morning. Verses 14 through 24, follow along with me as I read. It says, But Peter... Standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. We're going to break this sermon in half for the sake of fitting uh, a message into the, the time slot this morning. We'll get to the rest of it the next time we're in the book of Acts together. But the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost is the very first sermon ever preached in the church. 
Isn't it interesting, and I think it does us credit to remember that God has determined to use preaching as his primary method for edifying the church. God has determined to use preaching as his primary method for edifying the church. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 19 says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And skip down a verse. It says in verse 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The modern church has downplayed the role of preaching. Sermons are becoming shorter and shorter. Services are no longer centered around the preaching of God's Word. Yet here in the book of Acts, we discover that immediately after the church received the gift of the Holy Spirit of God, a man of God boldly stood up and preached the Word of God. The church began with preaching, and we'll find as we study the book of Acts together, the church continues with preaching. For example, in Acts 5 verse 42, it tells us of the disciples that they continued daily in the temple and in every house. They ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That's what they were known for. Acts 8 verse 4 says, Therefore they that were scattered because of the persecution of Stephen... They that were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Great men of faith such as D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards were used by God in their preaching. And they were used because of their commitment to preaching the word of God. Paul describes for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 his mission and his purpose statement. It says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul's mission was consistent with the mission of the church in the book of Acts. It's the same mission that we have today. It's to preach the word of God. And so we're going this morning to break Peter's message here into three parts from Acts chapter 2. First, we find that Peter preaches in response to the scoffers. He's preaching here in response to the scoffers. It says in verse 13, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. 
I want you to notice, first of all, Peter was backed by other disciples. He was not standing alone when he preached. He was backed by the other disciples. He was standing there with the 11 apostles. God does not intend that his mission be accomplished by lone wolves. God does not intend that his mission be accomplished by lone wolves. Peter was not standing alone. God intends that his mission be accomplished by the called out assembly, which we know as the church. And Peter stood there with the other apostles. Peter stood with and in the church when he preached this message. There's strength in unity. And we need to, as Christians, encourage each other in our efforts to spread the gospel. William Carey, that we call the father of modern missions, got burdened about the need to reach the heathen with the gospel of Christ. And his church, the church in his day, was not doing a great job at that. They did they decided that, you know, if God really wanted to save the heathen, he will accomplish that without our help. That was basically what one older preacher told William Carey in a meeting about that very subject. Young man, sit down. God's got this. I'm paraphrasing. But William Carey was just burdened by the need of the gospel to go out into the far reaches of the world, and he did not intend to be the one that went. But after a while, the Lord started working on his heart. And he finally decided, I will go be a missionary. And he told the church, he told the other men, I will go down if you will hold the ropes. He used the illustration of going down into a mine. I will go down if you will hold the ropes. Who are you encouraging in the ministry? Who are you supporting in the work of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What part are you playing in helping this church accomplish its mission? God never intended for the gospel to go forth in the church uh, to be accomplished by lone wolves. What part are you playing in helping this church accomplish its mission? What are you doing to hold the ropes? Are you helping the mission of the church? Are you holding it back? There are men and women that are running into the depths of the world with the gospel, and they need people that are willing to hold the ropes financially, in prayer, in encouragement, whatever. We need people that are willing to help those go because ministry is not a one-man job. It's a group effort. It's a group effort where each individual member of the body of Christ plays a part in enabling the church to accomplish its mission. We have a job to do. Preaching is vital. It's the core purpose of gathering together as a called out assembly. But we have to have others that are willing to get on board and help and be an active part of this church. Why? To enable the preaching to continue. I'm telling you right now, if there was not a nursery, my littlest boys would be up here preaching with me. We need nursery workers in order to let the preaching continue. We need ushers in order to let the preaching continue. We need sound booth workers in order to let the preaching continue. Where would relationships be built? Where would the questions get answered if there was no one that was willing to stand up and be a Sunday school teacher and to lead a class? 
We need those people in order to let the preaching continue. How would the lights stay on? How would the preachers be fed and provided for if no one gave to the offering? All of us play an important and vital role into allowing the preaching of the Word of God to continue in the church. It's not a one-man show. Pastor and I are nothing apart from the body of Christ. What part are you playing in allowing the preaching to continue in this church? If you were to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you would discover every single Christian has a role to fill. And every role, every role is vital in the church. 1 Corinthians 12 says, just as a snapshot, verse 14, the body is not one member, but many. And then it says in verse 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Each and every single member of the body of Christ has a vital role to play. What would the Sunday service be like? If we didn't have good music, what would fellowship be like without food? What's a building if it's not cleaned and cared for? All of these things, all of these things are accomplished to allow the preaching to continue. Each and every single person has a role to play. What are you doing to help the church? We have in America plenty of consumer Christians. They come in, they sit down, they listen to the sermon, they go home. Wasn't that good? Folks, you could turn on your TV and do that. Don't. <laughs> but you could, couldn't you? We're, we're not gathered together this morning to be entertained. We're gathered together as a body and members in particular. And each and every single person in this room has a role to play. Pastor and I, our role is to preach and to teach. But our role is no more vital than the rest. And we can't do it alone. What are you doing how are you holding the ropes? Peter did not stand alone. He was backed by the other disciples. Notice also he was bold in his declaration. Peter was bold in his preaching. Peter never really had a problem with being timid. But I love that he was bold in his preaching here. He addressed the bewildered crowd and the mockers, and he answered them with a sermon. And what made him bold? What made him willing to stand up in front of this crowd, this mob, and give a defense and give the gospel of Jesus Christ? Even though Peter was a bold and impulsive man, he was pretty much all talk before the Holy Spirit came, wasn't he? He's the same man standing up in front of the crowd preaching. He's the same man that said, Lord, even if I were to be killed, I would, I would never deny you. And then he denies Jesus three times. I don't even know the man. Never heard of him. He was all talk before. But now he's filled with the power that Christ had promised. He's preaching in the power of the Spirit of God. This was not Peter's innate talent. 
This was not his dynamic personality coming out. This was purely the power and hand of God on the apostle Peter. It reminds me of the story of the young seminarian that was excited about preaching his very first sermon at his home church. He had spent three years in seminary. He felt like he was adequately prepared. He wrote a good message. And so as the pastor introduced him to the congregation, he strutted up to the pulpit, his head held high, self-confidence just radiating from him. But he stumbled as he read the scriptures. Then he lost his train of thought halfway through the message and started to panic So he did the only thing he could think to do. He wrapped up the message, prayed, and walked with his head down from the pulpit. His confidence was completely gone. After the service, one of the godly men in the church walked up and whispered to the embarrassed young man, you know, if you would have gone up the way you came down, you might have come down the way you went up. We need humility in the pulpit. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. We need men and women today that would stand for Christ that aren't talented or dynamic or even popular. We need men, preachers that are men of surrender and prayer. We need men that are nothing, nothing apart from the power of God and know it. Anytime you get a little bit puffed up, Just read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says in verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. D.L. Moody didn't have the formal uh, training that others had, and he was kind of frustrating to those that went through seminary and scholars, because he would often use the wrong verse, preach a great message with the wrong verse. And it caused some division in the church because there were those that were loyal to Moody and would not take the criticism of those that knew the scriptures. And one day, D.L. Moody, I don't remember exactly the man that was preaching, attended a meeting where one of these scholarly professors, these well-trained preachers was preaching, and he put his chair right in front of the pulpit. And as the man preached, D.O. Moody said, there goes one of my sermons. And the man stopped, and D.O. Moody said, "I, I was using the wrong verse. I preached that completely wrong. And the man smiled and continued on. And for the rest of the sermon, D.O. Moody said, there goes another one. And totally put to silence all of those that would stand up and defend him. D.L. Moody was not a well-educated man. There was nothing special about D.L. Moody. What was special was the Spirit had monopoly on D.L. Moody. We don't need talented men. We don't need famous people in the church. Don't let the movements and the methods pull you away from the true source of boldness and power in the church. 
Now more than ever, we need men that will unashamedly declare the very simple but truth of Scripture. He was bold in his declaration because the Spirit of God was on him. He was backed by the other disciples. Peter was also bold in his defense. He addressed the false accusations of the, of, of the scoffers. They had said, these people are drunk. <laughs> That's what's going on here today. These people are drunk. They immediately dismissed the miracle of tongues by accusing the church of being immoral. Peter dismisses this false accusation by pointing out the time of day. He said, it's only the third hour of the day. It's only nine in the morning. These people are not drunk. It was not a reasonable accusation to say that the disciples were under the influence of alcohol. Peter did not apologize. He just declared what was true. I love the verse in Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. If you just do what's right, you won't have to spend much time defending yourself. God will do that for you. Peter didn't apologize. He just declared the truth. These people aren't drunk. It's too early in the day for that. And then he preaches regarding the sign gifts. He preaches in response to the scoffers. And then he preaches regarding the sign gifts. This is the substance of his message. He says in verse 15, These are not drunken as ye suppose. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He preaches regarding the sign gifts. First of all, he preaches according to the scriptures. He gives chapter and verse. The verses he quote, quotes is found in Joel 2. It says in Joel 2 verse 28, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. The term, the last days, has been used to describe human events since the time of Christ. We've been in the last days a very long time. As we know from Scripture, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. The Bible predicted that Christ would come as a suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And since the day he came, we have been in the last days. And notice that the prophecy in Joel, if you were to continue reading there, and if you were to read what Peter quotes, the prophecy in Joel has not been fully fulfilled yet. The rest of it will not occur until the millennial kingdom. The day of Pentecost is a foreshadowing of Christ's return. There were no wonders in the sky on Pentecost. The moon didn't turn to blood. There was no fire or vapor or smoke. According to Matthew 24, though, these sorts of things will occur. 
before Christ's second coming and at Christ's second coming. Matthew 24, verse 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. If Joel's prophecy applied to the 20th century church, all of our eschatological events would be thrown out of whack. This is why many that would teach that the gift of tongues is for today also teach a post-millennial coming of Christ. Because you have to change the order of everything for it to work. Peter preaches in accordance to the scriptures. He says, folks, this is what God said would happen. This is prophecy being fulfilled right before your eyes. And he uses that to proclaim that all could be saved. All could be saved. This was the mark, the coming of the Spirit to the church, that God was giving the mission of the gospel to the church of Christ. In the Old Testament, the message of salvation was given to the Jews, but outreach was not common. Salvation was not a widespread message that went out to all the ends of the earth. But now, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the message of the gift of salvation by faith in Christ would be taken to all nations and all tribes and all people groups. And any and all, Peter says, that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. By the way, all means you. (laughs) All means me. Any and all that call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Have you called on Christ for salvation from sin and death and hell? Do you know for a fact that you have eternal life and a home reserved for you in heaven because you called on Christ for salvation? Peter preaches immediately and immediately the message is the gospel. All will be saved that call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is already on the move at Pentecost. He preaches regarding the sign gifts. He preaches in response to the scoffers and he preaches finally the risen Savior. The risen Savior. He says in verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Well, Peter starts stepping on toes in his sermon now. The crucifixion for us is a far-off event. For these people, it was a month and a half ago, just 40 days ago. It was fresh in their minds. It likely still came up at the marketplace that Jesus that great teacher that had multitudes following him, the man that drew huge crowds had been taken and crucified in public. It was fresh on their minds. But Peter preached what we all must preach, Christ crucified. It's the keystone of our faith, Christ crucified. The Christ we preach is the eternally preexistent God and creator of all the universe. 
The Christ we preach was God in the flesh. He didn't become God. God became a man and dwelt among us. The Christ we preach is the one and only way to heaven. And this is what Peter is preaching here. Notice three things he declares about the ministry of Jesus Christ. He declares that the ministry of Christ was a proven ministry. Jesus' miracles authenticated his message. God the Father attested to the nature and character of Jesus Christ. Peter uses three words to describe how the ministry of Christ was proven. He uses the word for signs. These are things that are not necessarily miraculous, but they're proofs. They're either proofs because they're miraculous in character or because of the timing of their occurrence. They verify the truth of the things spoken. Nicodemus used this word when he told Jesus in John 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles or signs that thou doest, except God be with him. Peter uses the words wonders. The word wonders. The word wonder means wonders or omens, such as those things spoken of by the prophet Joel, the wonders in heaven above, the darkening of the sun, the discoloration of the moon, any other wonder considered with reference to its ominous character. Wonders, miracles. Miracles is literally powers, powerful acts, acts of healing and such. Uh, Those done with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Peter is essentially saying, you all did not reject Jesus Christ because you lacked proof. It was obvious who he was. You rejected Christ because you refused to believe in him. They were unwilling to accept the truth. Just look back at John chapter 11, verse 47. The chief priests gathered in the Pharisees and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. What are we going to do? Jesus' ministry was authenticated by miracles, by signs, and by wonders. And when you put the three together, one commentator said, it includes every kind of miracle. Jesus' ministry was authenticated by every kind of miracle there was. You know, there might be some here today that have not yet accepted Christ. And you're like the Jews were. It's not because of a lack of information or a lack of proof or verification. It's not because you don't know enough in your head. It's because you're unwilling in your heart. That's a very dangerous precipice to be standing on. One heartbeat away from hell because you refuse to receive Christ as your Savior. The Jews had plenty of proof, miracles, signs, and wonders. And you and I have the same proof recorded for us today in Scripture. Humble yourself, repent, receive Christ today if you haven't done so already. Peter preached that the ministry of Christ was a proven ministry. He also preaches that it was a predicted ministry. Peter preached that Christ was delivered up or given over to his enemies. He says... This was all predetermined. The word there, predetermined, it means marked out with a boundary. God had long uh, since laid out the boundaries of our redemption and how God would accomplish it. 
The planning involved the life and death of Christ. God marked it out with a boundary before the foundation of the world. It's a reminder to us of the incredible depth of God's love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 4, 10 says, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. God marked out the boundary of our salvation in Christ. Jesus came for that purpose. And then we also find it was according to the foreknowledge of God. The word foreknowledge means, you ready? To know before. I had to go deep into the Greek to discover that. God knew exactly what would happen because he's God. And because God knew exactly what would happen, he planned the death of his son for our salvation before the world was even created. God is sovereign. He's in control. And Jesus went to that cross not in defeat, but in victory. Because Christ through the plan of his father, was using the cross to purchase my pardon for sin. It is why Jesus Christ could yell out at the top of his lungs, it is finished. My job is done. It was exactly what God had determined would happen. Which means, by the way, that even when mankind is at his absolute worst, God can still work all things together for good. And you can be certain that in your life, he's using your circumstances as well. Doesn't surprise him. It was a predicted ministry. It was a proven ministry. It was also a powerful ministry. Christ's power was showcased for all time at the empty tomb. It was the miracle of all miracles. He'd already exhibited that he had power over all creation. Now we find even death itself could not hold him. John chapter 2 says in verses 18 through 22, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. What sign are you going to show us that we might believe on you? Kill me, and I'll take my life back in three days. Miracle of miracles. Power over death. It was a proven ministry the ministry of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. The church began with powerful preaching of the gospel of the risen Savior of Christ. And the church has to continue in the same way if we have any hope at all to accomplish the purpose God has intended for us. 
strip away all the programs and all the facilities, set aside all the trimmings and all the atmosphere, and only one thing should reveal itself to be the heart of the church, God's people gathering around his word and listening to the preaching and teaching of the gospel of the risen Savior of Jesus Christ and the word of Christ. Everything else should be just supporting that foundation, that pillar of the church. It is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Are you contributing to the mission of the church? Church was never meant to be a product. It was never meant to be a product that you would come, consume, and leave. Are you contributing to the mission of the church? Most churches, many churches, are 20% workers and 80% consumers. I don't know if that's true here. I haven't been here long enough to find out. But which one are you? Every single role is vital. Are you contributing to the mission of the church? How are you enabling the preaching of God's word to continue here? You know, for some of you, for some of you, just showing up is the way you contribute. It's kind of hard to preach a sermon to nobody. There's some that that's not much more than they can do but show up. But every single person is an encouragement to show up, to encourage each other, to fellowship with one another, just to be an encouragement to the church, to be praying for the church, to be faithful to the church. There's something to be said for that. But others in the church, most of us in the church, should have a job to do. Why? Because we can't do it alone. No one is called to be a lone wolf. How are you enabling the preaching of God's word to continue here? And then are you being bold also in your witness for Christ? What was it for Peter that changed things for him? It was the Holy Spirit of God, which each and every one of us as Christians have within us. And we are called as individual Christians to be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is within us. Your purpose and your mission as a believer is to testify of the grace of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you open your mouth and just give an answer for the hope that's within you, you are fulfilling your purpose for Christ. We get so... I. <laughs> I get a little tickled every time somebody says, did you see who, who got saved? Some, now, now, this is, now that this celebrity is professing Christ, the church is really going to advance. Folks, we don't, we don't need celebrities. We don't need talented individuals. We don't need dynamic personalities. We need spirit-filled Christians that would just share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all the church has ever needed from the beginning. The difference maker in the church was the Holy Spirit. That's it. And what are you doing in the church? We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes for the invitation. I'll invite the song leader to come. Maybe you're here this morning and God's 
I trust that God has spoken to your heart in some way. Take some time and let the Spirit examine you. What are you doing to help the church? It takes the whole body. What are you doing? How are you holding the ropes? Maybe you're here this morning and God has just been drawing you. You realize, I've never called upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You can do that today. We'd be thrilled. If you have questions about that, it would make my year to talk to you about that, to answer any questions you have just from Scripture. We invite you to come and ask the questions. We'd be thrilled to talk to you. Whatever the Lord has laid on your heart, you take this time and do business with Him.